This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. So you, uh, when we first met, it was, I believe it was at, at some Chicago tech startup event, I know. Uh, you're the co-founder and COO of a company called NutriSense. I was going to say startup, but it's slowly becoming a scale-up. Um, <laughs> it's about 100, 100 or so employees at the moment. And the whole concept of NutriSense is, you know, it leverages technology to improve a global health. You know, prevents preventable diseases you know, like type two diabetes, heart disease. What was it about the concept of digital health? Because keep in mind, you started this pre-COVID. I'll give you that. Yep. It was March of 2019, so almost a year before. Uh, what was apparent to you then? To yeah. Start this. So I was working in healthcare consulting, and my job is key was to optimize profitability for insurance companies, hospitals, medical device manufacturers. And a couple of things I saw, the trends I saw happening was people keep getting sicker and sicker. We all know this. Yet simultaneously, the U.S. was spending more and more on healthcare per person. And so this trend was, was just mind-boggling to me. And a lot of people just kept spending, kept throwing human bodies at the problem instead of technology. Um, and as you guys know, with inflation and costs of medical professionals is high, how do we scale that business? And it's all about remote patient monitoring. Uh, and it's also using product that is not just a scale, which has historically been used as a way to measure someone's lifestyle decisions, but something like a continuous glucose monitor, which is a device you put it in your arm, phase mm-hmm. it 14 days, uh, and you can get a real-time data and helps you really understand how your body responds to food, stress, sleep, and exercise. Uh, and taking all that into account, you're able to prevent disease in the first place, right? Uh, something about 89 million Americans, which is one in three Americans, are pre-diabetic right now. Wow. Uh, and these are preventable di- you know, diseases that we can stop as long as we understand how to eat properly. What is it about the healthcare system that is so reactive? I mean, I know it's designed like when you look at pharmaceutical companies, but even doctors, right? Like you walk in when there's an issue. You don't walk in, yeah. for instance, and say, hey, a doc, all's good. Just want to say hi. You know, here's a cup <laughs> of coffee and you're on your way out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, you know, it's the good and bad of capitalism, right? Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. If you look at Mayo Clinic, they're actually one of the few hospitals in the country that does a very different model. They actually get paid not on per patient, uh, but is a flat salary. So as a matter of if you have five patients or a thousand patients, you get paid the same salary as a medical professional. And therefore, they actually have way better outcomes. And it's unusual because that's the rest of the world is the same thing, right? But in the U.S., it's the more patients you see, the more money you make. So, you know, it starts with, I mean, the broken health, uh, the broken education system where you go into you know, hundreds of thousands of debt, mm. uh, dollars of debt after education. And then you come out and you have to work crazy hours. You have to get that back. And it's really difficult for individuals to, you know, to both try to owe all this money if they pay back while some teams are feeling the pressure from the capitalist uh, organizations and uh, try to have the best patient outcomes. It's, it's simply, it's a grind, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, the way you put it, it's kind of like a commission, right? It's like basically like, six, I mean, it's a different type of sales, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. And it's, it's tough to figure out what, what's best. But for you, because you come from a consulting background, so I can tell by the way you frame your answers. You know, you're very statistical in nature. I try <laughs> to be objective. I, I, I get the KPMG oozing out from, from, that, from that side. Yeah. But you were on the finance side of KPMG, yep. right? Yep, yep, yeah. I mean, uh, my goal is to look at the business side of things and understand how the business is working out. I will say, and I wanted to mention, I will say, yeah. I think I do think U.S. is the best doctors in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the pressures to get a lot of times to organizations because uh, the complexity of the healthcare system is so vague. Um, 
And if you actually interested enough, if you look at any hospital, and if you compare a CEO of a hospital to a doctor versus CEO of a hospital that's not a doctor, the hospitals with doctors, CEOs, always have way better patient outcomes. So if you ever get sick, go look at the hospital CEO if you want to have the highest statistical probability of being having good results at the hospital. But yeah, it's uh, and it, you know a lot of times people don't understand, but the hospital margins are very low. Actually, they're very low margins. Well, um, they, have, they have so much overhead, right? Like it's so cap intensive. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's the complexity a lot of times, right? Our insurance system is uh, really complex, and there's uh, yeah, we can get into weeds of it, but it gets real complex just across the spectrum. Well, I mean, listen, I, I'm going through this now, not not anything to do with the hospital, but just as a Canadian living in the U.S., you know, for instance, in Canada, and I always I joke about this. You know, keep in mind, everyone, this is a light, uh, a light joke. But I would say in, in the U.S., as soon as you leave the hospital, you're dead financially. In Canada, uh, you won't die financially, but because it takes so long to actually get proper care, you'll probably die in the hospital itself. So, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to find, to find what a medium looks like. Yeah. Uh, but it is true. And, and here, the insurance, like this whole concept of opt-in, opt-out, like we never had to deal with this in Canada because it's free healthcare, right? So yeah. it's the first time I'm, I'm learning about, you know, if you get like a blood test here, you come back and you get like seven checks in the mail that you have to pay subsequently. I'm like, what is this? Dude? I'm, never, I'm, I'm doing my ultimate best never to walk in here again. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's fascinating because if you really take a step back, one of the reasons we keep getting so sick is because, you know, one of the reasons we work so hard, right? And we make the world of convenience. Food's delivered to you. Hmm. Uh, you have everything to touch your fingertips. While simultaneously, that's the reason we keep uh, worsening our lifestyle, right? And it's just like people that's work. That's point, actually. I've never connected yeah. those two dots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating. Like, hmm. like, I don't have to go anywhere to ever get food delivered to me. And food companies make more money. Um, medical companies make more money. But at the same time, uh, that's what's driving us to get sick in the first place. And so it's this balancing swing. Do you want more career-oriented, make more money, be successful? At the same time, get sick, right? Because mm. um, you, I mean, you look at like the French lifestyle. The French, they're yes, all thin. Yeah, 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 exactly. They don't get, they don't have the same issues that we have. But they're also, they really value their like, hey, it's five p.m. I'm done with work. You know, that's so true. You're, are you not from? You're from Europe, if I'm not mistaken. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Which, uh, which country exactly? I was born I? in Ukraine. Ukraine. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully the family's good back home. Yeah. I know it's been a turbulent time. Um, but it's funny you bring up Europe. I was in Portugal two, two or three summers ago. Dude, I kid you not, then it was like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. Even I'm a tourist, right? Like this is yeah. summer, so I'm on, I'm on vacation. I could do this, at least in my mind, because I'm a North American person. And I just see people 3 p.m. next to the beach. You know, they literally have beers and, you know, peanuts or whatever on, on the roof of their car. And they're just yeah. chilling. Yeah. Everyone's laughing. I'm like, oh, it's, it's Wednesday at 3 p.m. What, what are you all doing here? You know, so it's just it's a very different it, lifestyle, very different right? lifestyle. And, and I was kind of mad at myself for even thinking that way. I'm like, who's maybe I'm the one at fault, you know, like which one is the right lifestyle? It's it's uh, so I used to live in Paris and I used to work there. And I remember on Fridays, like 4 p.m. would hit and I would have stuff, things to do that I need to finish. I'd sit there and work. And my boss would come over and said, what are you doing? And I said, these things are due today. And he would tell me, go home. And I, I would say, but it's due today. <laughs> and he'd say, yeah, well, it could be due Monday. It's not a big deal. And it's, I remember being stressed out about not finishing work you know, by X amount of time or wanting to do more work. And my boss would literally yell at me. And it took me like two months to get out of that. Or we'd go to lunches and we'd have a two hour lunch. And the whole time my foot is tapping, you know, I'm shaking. I'm like, we got to go back to work. And my boss is like, why? I'm literally your boss. I'm sitting next to you. Why are you nervous? Um, and then coming back, uh, like it was like nine months later, I came back to the US 
and finally got adapted to the European lifestyle. I came back and I realized everyone was eating lunch at their desk. They weren't right. doing a whole hour and a half, two hour lunch, enjoying life. You know, sometimes they have a glass of wine. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's fascinating. And you start realizing this is the reason, right? It's such a small thing, but like anything else, you do that, you know, three times a day for the next 50 years. Uh, you're going to have some issues. It catches up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Even coffee, man. Cause I'm, you know, I'm originally Middle Eastern. I always bring this up, but our coffee is so communal. That's why it's actually in round cups. And yeah. even the tray is round. And by the way, Starbucks use that kind of a marketing strategy. If you walk into a Starbucks store, the reason they have round tables is to make you feel less lonely. <laughs> Interesting. It's, it's funny in, 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 in the concept of North Americans, it's like everybody has their coffee at their cubicle or it's networking. Like it has a purpose. It's not just like Dan and I just catching up over, you know, yeah, I just, yeah, I just yeah, felt yeah. It, it had so much intention versus what I'm used to is family, you know, yeah. friends. Just how are you doing? Not like, hey, you know, how much are you raising or can I get in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very different mindset, a very different purpose. And it's uh, U.S. is built on go, go, go. And it's mm -hmm. one of the reasons I do love it. And I was able to get to where I am life today. But sometimes you have to ask ourselves, when do you slow down and how do we slow down as a society? How, how long have you been in the U.S. Uh, in total? I mean, it's been a while, frankly, uh, probably 25 years. Okay, so you're more influenced, I guess, by North American culture, yeah. but you do have the European DNA, of course, and you've lived in France. How do you balance that from a cultural perspective with NutriSense? I mean, from a people side of things, which, which side of it do you lean on? Well, it's interesting. We've kind of uh, mixed a side of, of everything together. Uh, and we've, what we've done is we've set up some extreme cultural norms on NutriSense uh, where people, almost everyone that interviews with us, people self-select themselves out of the interview process a lot of times. Because really? we, a lot of people have through interview be like, okay, this is not for me. Other people are like, I can't wait to get started. One of the things we do is we try to be overly communicative and overly transparent about everything that's good and bad. I think every company that likes good people, they try to convince everyone, hey, join my company. We're the best. Let me tell you why we're the best. And you get there and you're like, wait a minute, what are all these terrible things? Right? And right. everyone's got you know bad and good. And we try to tell people all the bad and good because there's nothing worse than someone joining. And then for the next two months, they're like, I want to get out of here. I don't know how. And then you're and you don't even know the company. So you're trying to, you, know, you don't know, and all of a sudden you're surprised with someone leaving. So we go extreme transparency. We'll tell people like our runway, we'll tell people our financials, we'll tell people all the bad things. Uh, but in exchange, we'll tell them the good things. You know, we look at like extreme flexibility. Like mm -hmm. we don't care if you work from 6 p.m. to midnight or if you work from eight to five, as long as work's getting done, right? Mm -hmm. Majority of our work is asynchronous. Uh, we have meetings online here and there, but in general, it's mostly asynchronous. Um, so very little actual video calls or anything like that. Um, and some people like this, people don't. Like to give you context, in the last year, I basically lived in like five different countries. Uh, really? Just, yeah, just would go somewhere two, three months and because it's all asynchronous. So, and a lot of folks in our company do that. We hired a woman, she was in uh, France, then moved to UK, then moved to South Africa, then Australia, then Mexico, like within a year. And like nobody even noticed because she's so effective at her job. And to us, we're like, what's the, you know, if you want to live your life, and this is where I kind of look, took a European lifestyle, like we want you to enjoy your life, which traveling is a big part for a lot of people and exploring the world. Mm -hmm. And why limit you to one place? Uh, on the other hand, because we do keep the American concept of like, hey, we would like to win and be successful. You have, right. to, be, you have to be a high level performer. Um, so we took that extreme, like extreme approach. And we also look at extreme flexibility. Like you said, work whenever you want. But also like sometimes we're on a call and someone looks tired. I'm like, hey, take a nap. You look tired. It's fine. Go take a nap in the middle of the day. And it's like kind of a running joke, but it's also true. Like you are way more efficient taking a nap for two hours and waking up and then feeling refreshed and then working again versus 
you know, slugging away when you're exhausted and you can barely comprehend things and you're just staring at a computer screen for six hours. So yeah. for us, That's it's being a good place that you can just be succeed basically. I mean, obviously it starts at the top too, right? Like if I, if, let's say if, if I was an employee in that, in that scenario that you, you mapped out, yeah. if then the, the co-founder and COO says that, I'm like, oh shit, even if, even if I didn't want to take a nap or let's say, you know, one of my colleagues heard that moving forward, they'll know that, you know what, the culture here is if I'm tired, I should rest. Yeah. You know, obviously if there's good reason and stuff, but whatever the reason is like, if you really can't, you know, productively work, take two hours for you, come back, recharge get your stuff yeah. done then but it's not for everyone some people will think like what is wrong with you guys <laughs> why are you telling why are people taking naps in the middle of the day right uh, <laughs> or like why are you yeah or like why are people living in france or germany right like why are people doing this like our executive retreat was in mexico city you That's know dope. um so people think like what is wrong with you guys and so you attract a very certain kind of caliber of people mm -hmm. uh and certain personalities but no one is surprised when they start people are more excited when they start and they want to be here um, and they almost don't look at it as a job. They look at it more of just like an adventure. Um, right. Because I guess the, the good part about that is, is also you, you don't, um, how am I going to say this? You, you don't uh, run into the problem of groupthink, you know, because no, no. even, even if you take, let's say, 10 different races, sexes or whatever, uh, but those are people that live in Chicago. So you yeah. take a mix of males and females and you take people from uh, Southeast Asia to Europe, to Middle East, to North America. If most of them, like you and I, have lived most of our lives in North America, we're still slightly influenced from North American culture. It's yep. different hiring someone in Southeast Asia who lives there, yep. or yep. Europe who lives there, or Africa yep. who lives there, you know? Yeah, what's interesting is, uh, so we are a little bit over 100 people, and we actually right now only have five people that are, live in Chicago. In Chicago? Okay. Yeah, only <laughs> so five. Right. Everyone else is completely remote, uh, both in all different states. I think we're registered in 40 states. Wow. Uh, is a company about a company less than 100 people registered in 40 states and then like 15 countries. How do you keep a culture aligned? I mean, do you ever find that to be difficult? Yeah, I mean, it depends what, how you define culture. For us, culture is we want you to grow and be better than mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time. Like, we understand that, hey, like, not, we want, first of all, we want everyone to stay forever with us, but we mm -hmm. also understand that like roles change, lives change. And our ambition is to be a brand that even if you leave, People mm -hmm. say like, oh, you left NutriSense? God, that's a nice, it's like, you know, it's almost like that Harvard of sticker in your resume. And people, people see Harvard, they get excited. When people see NutriSense, they're like, well, it must be good if you left there because you learned a mm -hmm. ton. So we, we have high expectation. We want people to learn. And like there's companies, and again, every company's different. There's companies say like, we're fun. We're the fun company. We're not the fun company. We just aren't. We're the company of extreme flexibility, high expectations, uh, extreme transparency. And that's mm -hmm. been our culture. And it's been... People always say, like, I've learned here more in a year than I've learned somewhere else in 10. Uh, if you're up for that ride, join us. If you're not, then it's probably not a right fit. And we, because we tell these people, we tell folks during the interview process, and that's why people right away are like, okay, do I want this or not? And it's what I think makes it really good because it helps the retention of employees because, like, every hire is a, you know, it's a reality versus expectation. Mm -hmm. And you always want expectation to meet reality and almost never does it meet whenever someone joins a company. Yeah, that, that's that's such an actually great point. I've actually, to be frank with you, I've seldom hear someone say that who runs their own startup. Uh, I swear to you, and I've done this is probably a hundred fiftieth episode I've done. Aside from like all the conversations I've had with CEOs, you usually hear the opposite to your point. But actually, I can tell from even myself, if I had a conversation with you and you level set expectation, just like that, you know the quote, yep. "Expectation is the thief of joy." Yep. Um, so if you have 
you know, very high expectations. And then you come and, you know, then you realize like, oh, this is extremely different than what I assumed it would be. My morale is going to go down immediately. And then I'm going to start looking for something else. And it's wasting your time and money as a company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So get ahead of it, right? Like, just be real. Yeah. And we always, whenever people, when people ask us, you know, with interview, we say, do you have any questions? People don't have any questions. And I'm like, please come on, ask me. Something. I know everyone has questions. You can't possibly on a 30 minute call, understand everything we do, how it works and what does it work like? Right. And we'll, we'll send them a lot of times that we'll have people talk to other folks in the company who are not interviewing them just so they can talk to them like, what was your experience? Like, what did you go through? So right. they get that preview before they start. Well, and, and if you don't, it's almost like another telling sign. It's like, is this someone, you know, we want to, like, if they really don't have any questions in that 30 minute call, <laughs> unless they're really a good performer, you're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know about but this. It's interesting. It's the idea of good performers. I've literally shifted my mind about that. It's always a good performer for a certain job. We've hired mm-hmm. folks and they were, we were super excited. They're really smart and they were in the wrong role. And, you know, we said, okay, actually, let's figure out what their strengths are. And we moved them to a job completely different. And the moment they went to a different job, they just crushed it. So it's always the great performer in the right role. And a lot of times it's difficult to identify that from the beginning. Uh, but you just have to understand when you get work with someone, like what is the right seat for the person to be in? Yeah, it's a hard thing. You're, you are right, though. that because you and, and you could have the opposite, right? You could have someone who's perceived to be a great performer, yeah. could be in a good role and just doesn't execute. Um, exactly. It's hard to tell in a 30-minute interview. And also, uh, the, the challenge with that is there's always a bias, dude. And I know for myself, right? Because typically, you always uh, align yourself with someone who resembles you or things that you value or like. It's just yeah. a natural inclination. So let's say I'm an extrovert. I talk to someone who's highly introverted. I have to really set aside that bias and say, I'm not looking for someone like me in this role. Yeah. You know? But as a, as a human, that's innately difficult to do because you just... And you're always looking like, do I click with this person? But yep. the point is not for me to be best friends with you, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, what's, it's fascinating. Uh, I agree. We all have biases. And uh, me and my two co-founders, uh, Alex, who's an engineer, and Kara, who's a dietitian, and I, I work in finance, we're completely different personalities. And a lot of times, he's, every time we interview someone, he's always, I always skew toward people who are consultants or investment bankers. And then Alex is like, oh, let's hire more engineers. And Kara's like, let's hire more people from an EQ side of things. And uh, we com- I think because we have a different perspective, the three of us, uh, we were able to actually not have, we were able to eliminate a lot of biases. And that means one of the things we just, it's funny, we just uh, got a PR firm that we wanted to go through. And one of the things they pointed out to us, we didn't even realize they're like, four out of eight people on your exec team are women. Like, how did you guys do that wow. for a tech company? And I actually said, I didn't even think about that. We didn't realize that happened. Right. Uh, we just kept hiring people who were smart and they just happened to be women. And everyone's like, we should do more of that. I'm like, do more of what? Like, there's no process in place for like, hey, we need to make sure we have women. Just happen because we just have smart, hiring smart people. Um, Mm. And because I think one of our co-founders is a woman and also like, we just, you get to eliminate that bias. And I think, I don't know if it's a generational thing or maybe because we're so global, but again, it's a lot easier to eliminate those kind of things. um, You are right. Yeah, I mean, I think even like we looked, they also point out we're like over 10% LGBTQ. Again, they're like, oh. how'd you guys do that? And I'm like, we didn't do that. Like, these are not yeah. things we're trying to but do. It, was, it wasn't a bias we had initially. Like, it just, yeah. you know, so naturally you were. You, we have you a bias even... people who are smart. <laughs> That's the bias we have. Well, isn't that, again, like back to the different cultures? Like, I love how, you know, well, love isn't the right word. I, I'm, I, I'm surprised by how, you know, in, in North America, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's almost like a metric now, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, I don't think that's the right case personally. Like, I consider myself. You know, I'm usually when I'm filling out applications, I'm the guy who writes other because, you know, I'm Middle East and there's never yeah. like a, a box for us. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, it's just funny how here it's like something you have to do. Whereas I feel like it's something you want to do, you should do. Yeah. Uh, but it also happens naturally for the right reasons, you know, and you're mindful, of course, like maybe for you, you're right. Cause it is global. Like you didn't have to be as mindful, but here it's like, people have to be so mindful about it because they've spent years not being mindful about it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe that's the reason I don't know. Where are you from? If you don't ask him. Uh, yeah, I'm from, I was born in Lebanon, but okay, I, nice. I lived half of my life, like across the Middle East, you know, I call nice. it the Im- immigrant roadshow to use yeah, the finance yeah. term. And yeah. I spent some time in Beirut time. actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. My best friend married a Lebanese girl. No so way. To his wedding. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That, that's amazing, dude. When was this a long time ago? Or uh, this is about five years ago. Okay, well, that's a good time. I mean, in retrospect, it's never a perfect time in Lebanon, but yeah, you know, it was still slightly better than where things are now. So yeah. that's good. You got this chance. Very, very surprised how fun it was. I was just like mind blown how fun it was and how friendly everyone was and the food. Oh my goodness. The food was good, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And take a quick try to uh, flight to Cyprus. It was right next door too, which is also convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, great beach. You know. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. It's a it's a party city. People are usually surprised, right? Because it's what it's what you hear in the media versus what you see in real life is very different. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Miami, a lot like Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's the U.S. example. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, well. I just did want to touch quickly on on back on NutriSense, and yeah. I love the conversation so far. But just so people get a, a better grasp, before the recording, you were mentioning it because I understood it to be primarily a B two C play, right? Like yeah. it was a yeah. business to consumer. So and it's fully online, like it's a, it's a platform that's that's web based, yeah. right? Exactly. So, I mean, you get basically a sensor called Continuous Glucose Monitor. It has previously been used for type one diabetics, but because over time the prices have gotten down dramatically. Uh, we're now repurposing it for people who are either type two or pre-diabetic or people who just want to live a longer, healthier life and understand how their body responds to some of the factors I mentioned earlier, like food, stress, sleep, and exercise. Uh, and you get an app uh, on your phone, which is, gives you analytics around how your body's responding to these things. And basically you're tracking anything you want to track. You can track anything from your food intake to your workouts, to even some people track the menstrual cycle. Mm. Um, and then we have dietitian on the other hand side. Uh, they are analyzing this data with analytics and they're providing feedback on how to improve, you know, and you quickly realize that mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that these, a lot of habits that we've been building, that are just wrong. Uh, something simple is like, we've always been told to snack, but snacking is terrible for you. Like you should have two, three big meals a day and be done. Uh, snacking is just like, yet everyone's always like snacking. If you Google right now, how benefits of snacking, there's hundreds of snack advices, uh, you know, how to better eat and snacking is good for you to have energy all day long, but it's completely wrong, you know, or, there's just intermittent fasting is a big popular one that's been pushed a lot. But mm-hmm. again, if you take a step back into it, um, that research has been done primarily on men uh, and female and male bodies completely different. I love uh, that you bring this up. Sorry, I got like goosebumps. Because uh, anyways, I'll let you continue. I don't want to do that. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've now seen tens of thousands of people's data and a lot of women and a lot of women try intermittent fasting to lose weight. And you can actually see their glucose going in the wrong direction because right. they're so stressed out the stress is causing them more issues than the bad benefits of intermittent fasting. And so they're actually hurting themselves when they're actually trying to tell themselves and they don't know. And they're, they're always stressed out. And they're like, why is this happening? Uh, and they think they need to intermittent fast more and more and more, but they're actually screwing up their uh, bodies. Well, it's uh, listen, I was at fault of that. I was one of those guys who was pushing intermittent fasting on my fiance, sadly enough, uh, I'm much more aware now. But one of the things she pointed out, because, you know, she's a psychologist, she's very astute, and she's very uh, detail-oriented. I'm the complete opposite. Uh, I'm more like high level and whatever. So she ends up looking at a bunch of research. 
And exactly that. Like most of it was done on men. Funny enough to bridge the two, I had someone on my podcast, um, Priyanka Jain, whose dad mm-hmm. is Naveen Jain. You know, he, okay. uh, yep. Yep. he he's the founder of, of uh, Viome. It's like a microbe. Yep. He studies like uh, gut microbes. And she has a similar platform, but for uh, vaginal microbiomes. Super interesting. Uh, it's basically like a digital tech startup, I guess. But they'll mm-hmm. send you a kit. And one of the things she said on the podcast, I forget the exact date, but she was basically saying how women, especially in the U.S., were not even included in randomized studies until like the 1960s. Yeah. In yeah. the 1960s, it was optional, but that was the first time they were actually allowed. Again, don't quote me on the exact date, but it was somewhere. No, no. And it's still, I mean, horrifying. I mean, it's, it's, so you don't have that much of a sample set. And so everything that they, that they look at now has to be retested and given enough time to validate the same type of credibility for it. Yeah. I read a study, not to, it was published a while ago, but it was on breast cancer research and it basically if you look at the data it was like out of a thousand people some like 950 were men that breast cancer was done on only 50 were women and you're sitting there you're like what is happening here it's the stupidest um, thing man yeah so i mean i'm hoping that research changes quickly but it's one of the reasons this happens is the cost perspective uh as you have a menstrual cycle it becomes much more expensive from a research perspective you have to you have to expand how long the research study has to take place if you do women versus men uh, and that's one of the because factors you want two sample sets. Is that what you mean? Or no, because, um, because men have a pretty, basically their hormones are pretty set and they don't change very much. Women's hormones change dramatically depends what part of the cycle they're in. And therefore you need to go longer time periods to study them and certain effects, whatever you're testing. Hmm. Uh, and that length of time costs more. So a lot of times researchers are like, Oh, it's cheaper to do this. Let's do this. It's like one tenth the cost. Um, but I'm hoping that changes quickly because uh, it's really just a huge mistake, I think. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that there is that there is a component that continuously tests you. You can use the app, but it's not just like, you know, he, you know here's the data and good luck. You know, you also have a dietitian to really um, personalize someone's diet plan yeah. to the data that it's showing. And it's objective. It's not a subjective test. Uh, and it's con- constant, right? I mean, it's yeah. that's the cool part about it. I mean, here's a kind of interesting part. It's like about 15% of our actual members are medical professionals, doctors, pharmacists, uh, dentists, because people sometimes assume like, hey, if you're a doctor, you're an expert on nutrition, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of times you go to a doctor, if you ask a doctor like, hey, it looks at my, you know, if they tell you like your cholesterol is high you're, or you're pre-diabetic, what do I do? A doctor says, exercise and eat better. Literally. What, is that, what does that mean? More water. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean though? Like exercise and eat better. Um, you know, what's interesting, people don't realize, but our bodies are so unique. Uh, based on our genetics, based on many factors, our, you know, health, our digestion, things like that, and just like even gender, sex, age, our gut microbiome, microbiome, so many unique effects. So we see people who are like, I will eat a piece of chocolate, have no impact on my life, and then I'll eat a banana, it looks like I'm type two diabetic for an hour, and some people are vice versa, and you see this with data, like so, like when people just give generic diets, like hey, eat less meat, or hey, work out more, like what does that mean? These are such unique things for us. Then how can mm. you possibly say that? So. I think with things like microbiome testing, with things like CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, you're able to start identifying and seeing what your body works like and how it's unique. And then you can actually change your habits to what matters for you. Question for you. Um, can anyone use this? Or is it just if you were a type two, like if you had a preconceived uh, condition? So previously, historically, it's been used only for type 1 diabetics who are on insulin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we've done is we rolled it out people who are not type 1 diabetics, people who are either type two or pre-diabetic or actually normal, right? The goal idea is, hey, why don't we stop people from getting sick in the first place? 
Like, mm. what's the point of someone getting sick? And then we treat you and manage your disease. Let's stop you from getting sick or slow down progression disease. So really anyone can sign up. I'm going to send you, uh, once we're on the recording, I'll send you, I don't know if you listen to Tom Bilyeu. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so he has a, a really good, I think it's called Impact Theory. But his most recent one was with a doctor. They, the whole episode was just about uric acid. And I, I've had, uh, genetically uh, speaking, I've had pretty high levels of uric acid throughout my life. I've had ways to, to stabilize it. But in that conversation, he actually, there's a causation between diabetes and, your, and high uric acid and how that leads to gout, as an example. So just interesting, something to, to look at. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. I'll take a look. Yeah, there might be a connection. But bef before we wrap, I, I really appreciate your, your time here, Dan. Um, curious, like what, what advice would you give uh, to someone starting out? Because you're a first-time founder, if I'm not mistaken. First-time founder, yeah. First-time founder. But I mean, it's a little bit unfair to say that because my co-founder's been in like six startups. So, <laughs> and he's founded several of them. So I think first-time founder, but uh, yeah, he gave me a lot of advantage in that direction. Uh, what are, what are some pieces that you learned along the way? Uh, I think I, I would say the biggest thing is really to stay away from micro optimization. Um, one of the things when I say that is when you work in corporate job, mm -hmm. what happens is you own one little area and it's always about like, hey, let me try to get 10% improvement efficiency on this. And a 10% improvement efficiency on the one little area is actually big because the company could be a multi-billion dollar company. And that 10% can save you millions of dollars for the company or improve X amount. It's because it's scaled already, right? And so we get used to this habit, like, hey, maybe I can improve this Excel function. It's a little faster. It saves 20 minutes, but not, you know, a thousand people save 20 minutes now. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have this ability to improve tiny little things. And so when I joined us, when we started this, the first thing I wanted to do is, hey, we got a hundred people to our website, five people paid. How do I get seven people to pay? How do I, you know, because if you look at it from five to, to seven, you're increasing by like 50%. And I'm looking at 50% improvements. Mm -hmm. But when a startup, what matters is uh, early on is actually think about the top of the funnel. Don't worry about these micro optimizations. How do you go from 100 people to your website to a million people to your website? That's mm -hmm. way more important because you don't have scale. So anything you do is not scaled yet. So there's such small things that before you got used to these tiny improvements driving a lot of impact, but now you don't. These improvements don't help yet because you don't have enough scale to them have an impact. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.